Welcome to Get Global, Global Health Talks, a show where we get up close and personal with global health advocates from Ireland and around the world. We want to know what is global health? How can people get involved in global health? And specifically, how could you get involved in global health? I'm your host, Nadine Ferris-France from the Irish Global Health Network. Sign up on Spotify, Anchor and all major platforms for our monthly broadcasts. Coming up this episode, we speak to Dr. Brendan O'Shea, a GP, family doctor and assistant adjunct professor in Trinity College Dublin, speaking about specific projects and other interests in global health. Here's a quick clip for a taste of what was discussed. If we think about what is the right thing, and then if we pursue that with reason, single-mindedness, you will look back over the years, and it all stacks up, and you can say, "Well, yeah, I've, I've, I have, I have, I've used my time well." Okay, and that's actually, if you can reflect on that before drifting off to bed at night, and if you can think about that first thing in the morning, gosh, I wonder what good things I can do today. Then I think your 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 happiness quotient just rises. So good morning, everybody. I am here with uh, the amazing Dr. Brendan O'Shea, who's a GP family doctor, and he's an assistant adjunct professor in Trinity College, Dublin. His interests um, know no boundaries. He's interested in end-of-life planning, in medical education, in overweight, in health inequalities, and in health system design. So, Brendan, welcome to the show. Oh, wow. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning. And can you tell us even, you know, a GP, why is a GP interested in global health? Why are you interested in global health and how did you get involved in global health? Well, I suppose that is GPs for you. We're general practitioners um, and, uh, you know, we're all getting older. Some of us have been around for a while. And if you look back over the over a while, uh, you actually find yourself picking up special interests. Um, the special interest is a very well established part of general practice. Uh, and a lot of my colleagues have special interests. Typically, it's an interest you might pick up uh, in parallel with your mainstream of work in the practice. Um, and typically you might run it for five or 10 years. So if you've been around for 30 years, you have a couple of special interests clocked up. Um, So, uh, and I suppose what I would have picked up as a special interest when I was a younger GP uh, would be different from what I might pick up now. Back then I was particularly interested in uh, generating income. Um, So minor surgical procedures were very interesting. So one did toenails for five or 10 years. They were very profitable. It was technically very satisfying, but really you wonder now uh, with some maturity and experience how terribly useful that is uh, to the sum of everything that is. Um, So now maybe with a little bit more wit and wisdom and having fallen in with some of the right crowd through luck, um, I found that global health um, has become a really important special interest um, as I'm in the last third of my medical career. Hmm. So when you say global health, I mean, what kind of initiatives have you been involved in or just been inspired by in relation to global health? I mean, global health is a huge topic, as, as we both know. Um, I, well, a whole lot of different things. Um, the science of it is getting better all of the time, uh, hugely inspired by Hans Rosling's book and Hans Rosling's perspective uh, that there is a, an, an increasingly good evidence for what global health practitioners do. So the science is better. The need is absolutely outstanding. And we are inundated with data. An awful lot of this data compellingly tells us how difficult uh, life is for many people on our planet. Those of us who are in affluent societies, uh, it's almost like a type of blindness that we suffer from. Uh, We're bent out of shape because we can't get the cappuccinos we want uh, without wearing a face mask and going outside. It's the end of our universe. But in general practice, we are frequently brought into consultation with people who are suffering Uh, suffering meaningfully and over a prolonged period of time 
And hey, in Ireland, uh, where I practice, uh, we have people coming to us uh, from low and middle income countries in various stages of suffering, uh, disrepair, uh, suffering from preventable diseases. So there's a curiosity about it. Um, there's an understanding that it is ubiquitous. Um, and then I think like a lot of medical students, and I have the pleasure of hanging out with medical students a bit, uh, a lot of medical students and the middle-aged crowd and us older crowd, we went in to give something back. And that's very much uh, alive as a driver. And global health, global health is a fantastic aspect of practice for any clinician to get involved in if they have that imperative that they would like to give something back. Um, so it ticks an awful lot of boxes. The global health crowd um, are actually quite nice to hang around with. Um, is another part of it. Um, they tend to bring a particular type of imagination to what they do. Um, they tend to be kinder. Um, the this, this strict hardcore academics, sometimes we can get a bit cross with ourselves. The administrators can get a bit cross, but global health people have a fantastic ability to uh, sit back, collaborate, maybe collapse, maybe pick up and keep on going again. So there's not one but many reasons. Now, we're not in it for the money. Um, uh, it's not remunerative, and that probably is as it should be. Hmm. And when you say, you know, global health, I'm interested to know what kind of specifically, you know, what, what's the project or two that you have been um, really taken by as you've fallen deeper and deeper into global health? Like specifically, what kind of projects and what people and how are those projects working and why have they inspired you? Well, I think for anybody out there who's on the threshold of thinking they might fall into this, you have to ask yourself a question. Can I be any of use? Can I be of any use at this? Um, and that's a daunting question. Most of us have a sense of modesty. Uh, if you know a bit about diabetes, you can be of use at this. If you know a little bit about arthritis, you can be good at this. If you know a bit of talking therapy, you can be good at this. If you're good at managing a spreadsheet, you can actually have something to contribute. You mightn't have all of the pieces of any one solution, but again, this collaborative dynamic is very enabling. I found myself inspired by colleagues. Um, I was casually invited to go along to a global health training weekend out in Ackill Island two and a half years ago, and it has been life changing. It was enormous fun, but you were thrown into a room, uh, quite a small smelly room actually, put out the side of a mountain with a bunch of other global health colleagues. Um, uh, and then the, the next lights that went on uh, was an understanding of the variety of quite amazing projects. A proportion of them clearly fail. A large proportion of them don't. They turn into something different. They turn into what they were supposed to be. Uh, they knock on. Um, and uh, I found that inspiring. And staying close to home, my G I found my GP buddies, a lot of them had been squirreling away, doing amazing things. Uh, so there was Gory Malawi, um, uh, which is a partnership uh, between a, a practice uh, in, in southwest of Ireland and a region uh, in Malawi. There was the Neri Clinics, uh, uh, which is a, a kind of a classic project uh, based around setting up a clinic and a whole lot of different things have been built onto that clinic. Uh, there have been colleagues with a, with a special interest as opposed to a regional uh, project, um, particularly um, uh, Mark Wheeler and Carlo D. And their special interest in the appalling suffering uh, that relates to albinism uh, in Tanzania and Malawi. So that was a diagnostic interest, bringing a skill set and teaching that skill set, the skill set of minor surgery as we practice it in our surgeries uh, in, 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 in Donabate, in, in Kildare, in Newbridge. Um, uh, and uh, so... All of these were actually quite inspiring. Um, now, I, to be honest, I'm, as, as you get slightly older and more frail, the idea of going to exotic locations becomes a bit apprehensive. During COVID-19, that's more so than ever. Um, but then the important concept that you don't actually have to travel to be a global health practitioner, that you can write. 
that you can campaign, that you can do politics, that you can do fundraising. So what's not to like? Hmm. Uh, so, Brendan, I wanted to ask you a question. You and your beautiful wife, Karina, who is a practice nurse, um, are particularly interested in a project in Jordan. And I know you've been very involved in that. Can you tell us a little bit about that project, why you've been involved in it and what that project's about? Well, first about Karina, um, uh, she's not my beautiful wife. She's a person that I happen to be living with, which is wonderful uh, and a privilege. Um, uh, she has worked as a practice nurse. She's also worked as a practice manager uh, in the general practice. Karina got involved uh, with Atlantic Humanitarian Relief. Very interesting outfit. Uh, they run a single project. It's based around two to three uh, uh, visits to the Jordanian refugee camps on the border with Syria, which are the largest refugee camps for displaced persons on the planet. There are several million Syrians who are being housed. It's almost custodial once you're in. It's not so easy to get out. There are very large numbers. The services are very basic and rudimentary. And the people fleeing from uh, the violence, uh, the governmental violence uh, from the uh, Syrian uh, government regime and the, their Russian sponsors uh, carry wounds, uh, physical and psychological. They carry uh, non-communicable diseases. So Atlantic Humanitarian Resources um, were established largely in the United States. They're a small outfit, but they're very interested in uh, bringing other people along. Like, you know, if you happen to be a GP or a nurse in Ireland or a, a, a pediatrician or a dietitian uh, or a counsellor, they, they would be delighted to have you. Their ethos is Muslim. So there's an added complexity around that. It is fantastic to put yourself under the direction uh, of a governance structure that is headed up by senior clinicians in America who actually happen to be Muslims, I think, for the most part. And that gives them a fantastic in to that particular part of the planet. So they have an, uh, uh, um, uh, a collaboration with the University of Urbid, which is in northern Jordan. Uh, they clearly have good links to the to the camps, to the Department of Justice, the Department of Health, and they go over for a week with a large size team, typically of about 50 to 70 people, and there's a surgical bent to it. They particularly go over to do um, uh, lo low and medium complexity uh, surgical procedures, hernia repairs, wound debriding, uh, orthopedic procedures. Um, and Karina has been going out with that. I think she's been out with them six or seven times. She's brought pals out with her. I've nearly gone, but I'm still a bit of a chicken about traveling. Um, uh, but it's, it is fantastic. It doesn't tick all of the boxes. None of the projects do. Uh, so this tops organizational, it tops fundraising. Uh, it addresses a, a very well carefully selected need. It tops the logistics of when you get into the area, you well connect it. Uh, they have a fantastic network of translating by the medical students from the University of Urbid. There's an awful lot to like, uh, but we're hoping now to work, and I've managed to do it without having to go out there, uh, to work towards sustainability and teaching. Um, so the gap we've identified in collaboration with our friends in the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland, with Esther um, and with AHR, would be to set up a fellowship uh, programme for surgical trainees who are actually Jordanians. They're young surgeons from Jordan who are keenly interested in alleviating the suffering. So that's, mm -hmm. that's what Karina Hopkins got mm -hmm. me into at AHR. <laughs> Wonderful. I love, um, you know, you and I were teaching uh, together before Christmas. We were teaching, I think it was third year um, med students in, in Trinity. And I know you're very, very passionate about um, our, our medical students having that kind of broad mind in terms of global health. Um, you know, you're, you're very involved in curriculum development as well. I know you're involved in the Global, uh, global Health Forum. What do you think are the kind of key 
the key things that need to change in our medical education curriculum here in Ireland? And do you think we're, we're changing fast enough? We are changing. Uh, and I would say more has happened in my last 10 years than my previous 20 years. Um, the glass is half empty, half full, and I think it's becoming fuller. Okay. Uh, obstacles, I'm afraid the patriarchy is still very established uh, in the Irish medical establishment, in my view, and that is changing. Uh, there are some fantastic mid-ranking uh, female colleagues coming up through the ranks, pushing people like me aside. They, they need to push us off, okay? Um, uh, but there's also uh, some very strong vested interests um, uh, that impact uh, the Irish medical system. Um, uh, which are a, a barrier and an obstacle um, uh, and particularly vested interest around the, uh, around the commercialization of healthcare. So these all slow progress. Uh, but we are working and things are absolutely getting better. We have a much better diversity of medical students coming into our medical schools. Uh, we've had a significant increase in graduate entry medical students who bring fantastic combination of previous skill life experience <clears throat> but they still have the enthusiasm uh, of the undergraduate medical students so that's utterly fantastic um, and of course uh, medicine is being feminized from the ground up um, you know there's two-thirds three-quarters female intake now in most medical schools um, and the same applies to my own specialty in terms of general practice specialty training so i i, I hope i hope it comes back and, and finds a balance but it's a very happening place it's good to hang out with medical students you can absorb their energy and they give it so generously and it keeps you going as you get a bit wrinkly yourself. So Brendan, what would you say, you know, this interest in global health, and it's really incredible to, to, to just to hear about your journey with global health and your openness to global health. How do you think it's benefiting your patients? I mean, you're, here we are in the middle of COVID, um, so many restrictions. Luckily, we're on the vaccine phase of COVID at this point. But how has your, your kind of expansion into global health uh, benefited your patients, in particularly in Newbridge, for example? Well, this is Ireland, and we now understand that 17 or 18 percent of people who regard themselves as Irish citizens weren't born here anymore. Uh, my gosh, when I was growing up, we were all incredibly boring. Uh, I'm afraid white, Catholic, largely middle income people. That's just completely bursting apart at the seams. And Irish society is so much better for that. So in Newbridge, uh, we have uh, we're within a stone's throw of two direct provision centres. Uh, so I have no doubt that as a result of my involvement in global health, uh, the care and the awareness that I can provide to people coming to me from the most really difficult places is actually significantly better in, in my own mind. I, I, I haven't objectively measured it, uh, but, I, but I do believe it's benefited. Um, I think uh, all of us who are in an affluent situation, and if you're listening to this podcast, by definition, you're affluent, um, there is a huge risk of blindness. Uh, for us, ethical blindness, um, financial blindness. Um, and I think if you exercise your mind in the global health space, um, you see different and real brands of suffering that are ongoing. Uh, and really, that really is, you know, where we should be putting our efforts in. Um, I'm a great believer in the contract between the generations. So I think for young people coming up in low and middle income countries, it really should be, our efforts should be about them and about our own young people as well. Um, that's a, a Trinity idea, um, Edmund Burke, uh, the contract between the generations. It's traveled well over the last 300 years, and it's arguably even more relevant now uh, than it was when uh, Sir Edmund enunciated it back then. Um, so I, I don't know if that's uh, any sort of a complete answer. Mm. Um, and then I think there's the science of it. 
um, infectious diseases, um, and also the educational challenge of translating our knowledge here and seeing how does it fit? Is it relevant um, to low and middle income countries? That changes the way you think about your, your information. You learn things about what you're doing from global health and they translate very well into your care. So it's a win, win, win. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I can really resonate with that. It's been totally, uh, totally my experience. Uh, you, sp you speak to about young people a lot. And um, I love that as well. I love the energy that young people bring and just opening the spaces in global health for young professionals. So just as we finish up here today, do you have a message for, you know, for, for medical students, for any of the any of our young people, students who are interested in global health? What would be your message to them? Be honest to your own imperatives, okay? And be honest with to your own uh, best imperatives, okay? Um, we are, uh, all of us, uh, from LMICs, from Africa, we're all very clever, okay? Um, sometimes we're convinced that we're not, or we're, we're being made to think that we're not, but in actual fact, we are. If we think about what is the right thing, and then if we pursue that, with reason single-mindedness, you will look back over the years, and it all stacks up, and you can say, well, yeah, I've, I've, I have, I have, I've used my time well, okay? And that's actually, if you can reflect on that before drifting off to bed at night, and if you can think about that first thing in the morning, gosh, I wonder what good things I can do today, then I think your, your, your happiness quotient just rises. Um, so I think, and, and I, then I think you're truly privileged to spread that around and you're obliged to do so. Well, thank you for spreading it around and inspiring all of us. And thank you for being the first person on our new podcast. Pleasure speaking to you, Brendan. An absolute delight. Thank you so much for having me. So thanks for joining us today. If you want to know more and get involved in the Irish Global Health Network, then go to our website, sign up, become a member and see how you can be active. Go to www.globalhealth.ie and we look forward to the next episode.